Welcome to Black Tribe. Gary and Lisa Black coming to you from our tiny office in Spain. We're doing everything from home. Mi casa, su casa. Yeah, it's brilliant. It's a wonderful thing. So um, we are working from home. We are being very... um, Quarantined and very... We're we're being very productive, though. We have not let this stop. We've continued to work out. We've continued all of our disciplines and our habits that that make us feel good and keep us on track in life and sleeping well and staying connected to family and all the things that um, make life worth living. Even doing virtual happy hours with some of our best friends. We had so much fun with Tom and Emily Davis last Friday. Shout out. That, and we got to talk to all their kids too, which was great to just, they've just grown into people like overnight, it seems like. And then, Brett and Nicole Irwin are going to join us this Friday for a virtual happy hour. So I think we'll probably keep doing that since they're in virtual happy hours are a great idea with other married couples. And of course, Tom Davis showed us up with his, his hors d'oeuvres because he is a master chef. My favorite thing about Tom is how passionate he is about food and wine and like you loves to share what he loves with other people. So it was just, it was really fun. I literally felt like we went out to a restaurant, but bonus at the end of the night, no, no bill came. And I was like, this is awesome. Cause it's always so awkward. It's like, let's just split it. Let's whatever. And you're like, how did we spend $200 on hors d'oeuvres and wine? But it was a great night. So I highly suggest that if you are in any kind of quarantine or lockdown, like we are, which most of the world is, is to reconnect with people that you have been too busy running to connect to. So we are talking today about how to build your kingdom story and have kingdom marriages and kingdom relationships. How to build your kingdom kingdom story story. and how to have kingdom relationships. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that's awesome. Okay. So you're going to lead us, babe. I I think I will lead you. Okay. Um, Difference between mentoring and modeling. Whatever you see will override what you are told. So if you say that, say that one more time, the difference between mentoring and modeling, whatever you see will override what you're told. Okay. So it doesn't really matter if your parents tell you that, um, you know, drinking is bad and you should never partake of alcohol. And then they stay drunk all day because you are going to go over what they said. Is that the mistake that we made? Yes, that probably actually (laughs) is one of our many, many mistakes. But um, if you think about that, Before I met you, I had 29 years on the earth where I was observing other people. I lived within a family. Then I started my own family and then I was single. And so I had this view of the world that was based on my parents' marriage and then my first marriage and then um, my own family that I had and you had your own. Yes. And we were coming to each other with the attitude that we're going to collaborate and become a team. But in a lot of ways, if we don't acknowledge the, the story that brought us to that point, we, we look at each other as like an actor that you're in a, you're, you're going to make this film together of your life, right. And this family that you're going to have, but you haven't seen my script and I haven't read your script. Okay. So we're going in blind. Wow. And we see that so much, especially in this village, we've had such an opportunity to work with um, multicultural marriages. We have like a Spanish woman and an American man or an American woman and an artesian man. And and they brought this whole other perspective to us that they didn't really fully see how much their spouse's culture was going to affect their everyday life. And I think that's something we miss all the time because the culture that you grew up in, even though we're both Americans, 
We were both raised in the church. Both of our parents stayed married. We had two completely different ideas of what marriage looked like because of the way your parents were married and my parents were married and the way we did family life and the way we raised children and everything. Okay. So, so let's back up a minute. So we deal with a lot of literal different cultural marriages. Mm -hmm. We've got Americans marrying Spanish. We've got Argentinians marrying, and then we've got all these different people. And we hear honestly from a lot of Americans, because a lot of Americans are in fear that those kind of marriages don't work. Yes. Uh, Black to white, you know, brown to yellow. I mean, all these different, they always kind of say, don't do those. Right. We've actually counseled now for years, a lot of cultural, different cultural marriages that were hard, like every marriage. Yes. And they're starting to thrive. They do thrive. It takes it takes a little more time, I think, when you are blending cultures than it does if you are necessarily, however, raised sort of in the same culture to get to know those things. And the thing that we can't do is poo-poo our spouse's family and say, I'm not marrying the family. I'm marrying this person because that's absolutely not possible. Okay. Okay. So you're saying that, okay, we're not talking about completely different culture like we're all a different culture right but in even yours and mine mm-hmm. two american we were, yeah blonde hair green blue-eyed yep americans we had two completely different cultures we came from two completely different cultures. and we're trying to bring those together mm-hmm. and so our attitude can be my attitude can be either you're a collaborator in this dream that we're building with me or you're a hindrance And I think a lot of marriages start off, they get to know each other a little bit and they have this dream or this vision for marriage. And when their spouse comes in and says, yeah, I didn't, I didn't know that's where we were going here. And then they see their spouse as a hindrance to their dreams. That's where a lot of the bitterness and the separation takes place. Yes, absolutely. We see that all the time. All the time. Yeah. So we hear a lot too, like we've got these young women because the young men aren't showing up. They're going to go change the world which we're teaching them how to be ordinary people, ordinary Christians. And they kind of look down on being a mother and you're always teaching them, look, this is a season of your life. Right. It's going to end up being the, probably the most amazing season of your life. The hardest and most amazing. But you, you've got to have those conversations and merge your cultures before you actually merge your cultures. Is that what you're trying to say? Yeah. And we have to be honest. I mean, I really, there's been a couple of marriages that people have drawn this to. I'm like, this is fraud. Like you wooed someone in and telling them, I want to do this. That sounds amazing. I love you because you love these radical things. And then the second the ring goes on, they say, wait a minute. I really just want our house to look like Pottery Barn, like everybody else, which there's nothing wrong with that. I want to live in the suburbs. I basically only told you that I would follow you around the world because it sounded sexy and adventurous then, but really I don't want to do those things. We've seen that. We've seen it. Over and over. And one person has to completely die. Really? which I don't see these being really happy, thriving marriages. They're surviving marriages, but they're not, they're not fully alive. Well, it's kind of like I always say, you know, we go, we, we, we've gone to marriage conferences and, you know, Gary Smalley has some great stuff and, you know, these guys, what's the guy we love that does the great marriage stuff from Jimmy Evans, Jimmy Evans does some great stuff. You go to those and they say, okay, if you've been married 10 years, stand up and everybody claps. You've been married 20 years, stand up, you know, you're married 40 years. And I'm always like, wait a minute. I want to know if those are happy years. Mm -hmm. I don't know if those are good years. Mm -hmm. Now I know they're not all good years because no marriage Mm -hmm. is is good all the time. I love old men when their wives die and they've been single now for like, you know, five plus years. Like my wife and I never had a disagreement. We were, and I was (laughs) like, 
I met your wife. I talked to your wife. You were a horrible husband. <laughs> and she basically just, just submitted to serving you. And yeah, we're not interested in your marriage being a survival no. marriage. We want it to thrive and be fully alive. Like we're getting to, like we've come to. And so how do you do that? How do you start to talk culture before Listen, you get married? The huge cultural thing that's happening right now to everybody is that we are wide with our relationships. We have contact with hundreds of thousands of people a day through social media and all the different things that we do, but everyone's craving deep intimacy. And so when people say to me, I just want community. I'm like, you don't want community. Community is who you go to the grocery store with. Everyone has community. What you're looking for is intimacy. Mm. And so we've gone so wide, we don't really know how to go deep anymore. And you are only going to go deep with a very, very small number of people. And it should be a small number of people. And it should be, it should be sacred. It should be private. It should be intimate and special. But we were created for intimacy. We were created to walk in intimacy with our God. And we were created to walk in intimacy with another human being. And we were created for community. Yes. God needs, we need each other. Yes. But when people say community, what they really mean is meaningful relationships. Yes. The word community does not mean intimate relationships. The word community means people that you live around. Yeah. So we can, I can live around people on Facebook. I can live around people on Instagram. I can live around people in my blogs. But how many people am I actually going to go deep with? Okay. And you're the human being I go the deepest with and have the Thank most you, Jesus. intimacy with. Everybody say amen. But it's a real struggle for single people right now because we've got women that are, you know, late 20s, early 30s. And they're saying, where are the men? And they're, they're messaging me and they're like, I want to have sex. I want to be married. I want to start a family maybe one day. And I don't, where are the good men? And the good men come to me and like, where are the women that aren't shallow? Where are the women that aren't flighty? Where are the women that so, aren't so obsessed with their appearance? They can't have a conversation. Okay, so we've got 30 some young people in their 20s, early 30s. In their small Spanish casas. In their small Spanish casas, all in lockdown, not just quarantine, yeah, we but can't, lockdown. We, I don't think people realize like we can't go to the park. We can't go to the grocery store. No, we, we can't, can't go anywhere. Anything. You get ticketed. So we've got all this happening real time. And Lisa and I, because we're more of kind of the mother and father figure here, Andrew and Mo are amazing, and they're, but they're grandfatherly and they're kind of unreachable. Um, we've got young staff that people aren't going to go to with all of their relational things. We've got all kinds of relationship stuff happening. Yeah, there's all good kinds of people bad. are fully alive. <laughs> and I think it's beautiful. Like, what else are you supposed to be doing in your 20s except for noticing the opposite but sex? The but the thing we hear the most is yes. what you just said. Yeah. The young women are saying, where are the men? Yeah. And the young men are saying, where are the women that aren't needy and controlling and shallow? And so what are you saying? How do we, what do we do? With well, that? everyone needs to be authentic and we need to start by having some real conversations. I mean, the truth is there's more women that are interested in getting married right now than men. And I think it isn't because the men don't see value in it. I think there's a lot of fear in it. Okay. There's, you know, I do exit interviews with the guys that come through our programs and ask them like, Hey, so you're a good looking kid. You're educated. You got your master's degree. You got this, you got that got a great personality. I laugh every time I'm with you. You're funny. You're smart. You're all these things. 14 of these girls are in love with you and you seem to not notice any of them. What is going on? And they all tell me the same thing. What is that? What is it they say? They say that they have never seen a successful marriage that they would want to emulate. They've never seen a man be a true father. And so they don't know how to do it. And I'm not a man, so I don't know. But my experience with the men that I've lived with, with you and, and our 
four sons and our fathers is that men hate failing more than anything. And a man is not going to look at a situation where he feels like he's guaranteed to fall, to fail and jump into it. Yeah. And I think for a lot of these young guys, and because obviously we talk to them all the time, they're not aware, first of all. And when they do become aware, you're right. They're like, I think it's more of fear of success than it is failure. Hmm. Because what they're seeing is that if I do this, I'm going to need to be successful at this. And I've never really seen yeah. this success. Now, we're saying that in general. And I would say this, and I'm and honestly, eight out of 10 of our young men that come through here have never seen a successful marriage. They've heard their whole lives. Okay, guys, we're Christians. We're going to go to church on Sunday morning and Sunday night and but Wednesday night. we don't look any different than anybody else. But guess what? Mom and I are getting divorced. Yeah. And guess what? Mom's hooked on medical drugs. Guess what? I'm an alcoholic and hooked on pornography. And, they, and they're and they scared to death yeah. to have that responsibility come on them. And they end up the same way that they saw their fathers go. Yeah. It's a fatherless issue yeah, more than I, it's I anything else. I believe that is absolutely the root. It's yeah. absolutely root. And we have, because of the way that, you know, the human race has evolved, which really up until World War II, it was always the same. You know, the men went out and fought wars and they were warriors and the women took care of the house. And it's only been since World War II that we've actually looked at roles and realized roles has nothing to do with your sex, it has nothing to do with it. You can raise kids. I can fight a battle like we can do those things. But our purpose is different. And men's purpose is to be a foundational being. Okay. Meaning the reason he was created first in the garden, which you say he was created out of the garden. So he was. He okay. was created outside of the garden you. in the wild. I believe you. Read John Eldridge, Wild at Heart. Come on, girl. Yeah, that's a good, that's good a stuff. But they are foundational. And so if you look at any culture in the world where men have left or disengaged or like in Swaziland where they died, or lost at war, everything in culture crumbles. Like yes. there's economic ruin. Families are in ruin. Children are abused. When women are put in a position where they are the provider, the protector, and the covering of their family, I'm just telling you for the five years that I did that, I never let my guard down for a second. When you and I got together, remember we'd go, we'd go on trips and I never knew what gate or what airline. I just fall. I was so happy for you to make those decisions and just tell me, finish your drink. We need to go to the gate. I'm like, fine. I don't even know where we're going, what we're doing, but I'm so happy. I'm not thinking of all these different things all the time. And you are carrying that with me. Yeah. It was a huge relief. So women weren't really designed to carry all of that on their own. Yeah. I mean, they're forced to many and times. We do a great job. You like do a women, great job. when, if a man you leaves or, or is, in my case dies, we show up and we do a great job. Absolutely. But it is impossible to be the provider, the protector, and the nurturer of your family all the time at the same time. You're not supposed to. It's exhausting right. and it wears women out. And it's we've got a whole generation that was raised kind of by single moms. And it's not the fault of the woman because she did the very best that she could. And I don't know that it's the fault of the man. But where families are divided like that, one person is carrying the responsibility that was designed for two people. Yes. And it's exhausting. And it's not about blaming this or blaming that. It's about how do we get to purity on this and what are some solutions? And yes. how, how do we do this? Yes. So, so, yeah, I think our biggest issue with the, our counseling of these young people is, OK, young man, wake up. There are all these amazing, beautiful women. Look, if I was 25 and I knew about the world race or G42, that's where I would be because I'm one to seven girls to guys. And um, I've got a pretty good shot at finding a really good, awesome, godly woman. And we still have these guys who aren't even aware of these women. But once they do become 
aware. We help them. We smack them around a little bit in a spiritual sense and sometimes a little physically. And they, they're like, oh my gosh, I can't do this. Yeah. It's just, I've never seen it done. And so, so what's the solution? Well, I think one of the things we have to start with, and this is just practical stuff for people that are listening. Like if you're, like we said, if you're engaged right now, newly married or been married for a long time is really, it's all the same. And if you don't have a conversation about where did you come from and where are you going? I don't know where your compass is. Like we had a lot of conversations about, I absolutely believe this and this is what we're teaching our children. I don't know why people marry each other when they don't have some real basic things. Like this is what I believe and this is what we're going to teach our kids. Okay. So what are some of those things? Well, I mean, like, where do you stand with God? You know, like, are you, are you one that's like chasing after God and wanting everything that he has for you and letting him chase after you and catch you? Or are you, is your heart hard towards him? Because if one spouse is chasing after those things and wants what God has for them and the other one's heart is hard towards the Lord, that's going to be a constant place of conflict and you can't change another person. No, you can't. The Holy Spirit does that. That's the only way it does it. And how, and what do we, what is our story? Like, what do we want our life to be? Like people think it's morbid about me, but I think about my funeral all the time. I always tell you guys, play this song, show this picture, have a party, do a shot, whatever. Do not show my dead body. I've been really clear with you guys, but I do want, I live every day of my life so that when I die, people will say, I knew I was loved by her. I knew I was safe with her. Mm. And so I make every decision in my life based on how it's going to end. I already have a vision of how my life is going to end. And I have a vision of what I want people to say about me. I knew she loved me. I knew I was safe with her. I don't care about anything else. And so as I make my daily decisions about everything that I do, is that going to bring life or death to someone? Is that going to encourage them or defeat them? So in our relationship, that's the way we look at everything. Like, is this toward, is this towards our goal? Cause you and I had the same goal when we got married. We, we wanted to raise our children well. We wanted to have fun. It was very important to us to have fun. Fun's Adventurous value, was sure. very important. Um, we like to celebrate life. Yes. We like to work hard and play hard. And we instilled that into our children. We can see they're doing that with their families now. But we had those conversations. And so if I felt like, which a lot of young women do and a lot of young men do, is that I have this dream and you are an obstacle in the way of my dream. There's no place for anything, anywhere to go except for resentment. Yes. And so I'm, you know, I loved my life before I met you and you were a huge bonus to that life. But I knew when we got together that I had five traumatized children that were going to need a steady, stable mother. And because five of our kids, five out of six had lost a parent by the time they were eight. So these are, these are little children that have been through a, you know, a deal. And we knew that you were going to go make a lot of money. Like that was our conversation. We we, we thought you did make a lot of money. It just wasn't enough for our family. (laughs) And I lost a lot of money. But every time I would try to go back to work, which was my dream, I loved my job. I loved what I did before I met you. All hell would break loose in our house. And I would end up quitting and I would end up resigning my position again and going back and stabilizing the family. And that was hard for me. I cried a lot over that. And I kept waiting when it's going to be my time. And the truth is, it's just now happening. And I'm almost 50. But I don't know what I really would have to do or say had I been there at 24. I didn't know anything. (laughs) I didn't have any wisdom to to share with other people. I didn't know anything. And actually, the training ground 
for where I'm at now and what I'm doing with my life now was everything I ever did working for an insurance company, which I wasn't good at working, um, with small children, which I wasn't good at or raising our kids, which I wasn't actually very good at, but it was all (laughs) training ground for everything. Even being in sales has been a training ground for everything that I've done now. Cause everything belongs. Everything belongs. God is going to use it. And I think that's where women get stuck a lot as we say this, this is my dream. And these people are an obstacle for my dream Mm. instead of embracing the moment and saying, this is my training ground for everything God's going to do. So, so learning to live in the now, embracing our circumstance, knowing that God's in control and doing something with it, that Mm -hmm. this season actually belongs because he's going to use it for me later in life. And even this season in my marriage that sucks right now, my marriage is horrible. We're fighting. We don't even know how to talk to each other. We can't see the light. We get these kind of texts all the time and messages all the time. And we've been there. And, and guess what guys, this season belongs because there's no way you're going to know the beauty of healing. Number one, without it. Number two, there's no way you're going to walk people out of this season of their life unless you walk out of it. And so God allows these things. He doesn't cause them. God's not punishing us. He's not a punishable God. He he allows people to harden their hearts. He allows people to go look at their pornography and do whatever they're going to go do to damage their marriages. And then he comes alongside of us in our pain and he gets, he weeps more than we do in our pain. And then he helps walk us out of that. Well, the reason that that he allows these things, because we choose them, number one, and we have free will. Number two is as we get healed from them and transform through them, we can actually transform other marriages Mm -hmm. and other people. And so this season in your life, in your marriage, no matter what it is, or if you're not married yet, is a righteous, beautiful season, if you can see it for that. Yeah. And I would start with conversations like that. If you are stuck or you're just getting to know each other, I would ask a lot. When we first got together, I asked you questions all the time. I thought the only way to really get to know you would be to ask you questions. And you were really honest with your answers. And sometimes it wasn't what I wanted to hear, but you were honest. And so I had to accept that. But we have to ask questions. Give give an example of that. Can you? Because... I think that would help. <laughs> I just want to, I don't, I don't want to expose even know. anything. I think that, um, I loved that you were always honest with me, but I hated it at the same time. Like cooking, super important to me. I love to nourish people through my cooking. And it's really important to me that people feel loved and nurtured in my presence. But you were never really interested <laughs> in my cooking because you were in sales and you were at restaurants all day. And if you got home at seven or eight o'clock at night, you were still full. And I was like trying to love you and nurture you through my cooking and you were never even hungry for it. And the boys were the same way. And it, it just was so defeating to me. Wow. But I had to accept the fact that you weren't, you guys weren't trying to hurt me. You just couldn't, you couldn't receive love the way that I was trying to show it. That's huge. I know. That, that's ignorance on my side because I didn't know that's what you were trying to do. Now I should have, I do that now. Yeah. Like I love your cooking when you'll cook. Will you please cook? I'm like, you know what? I cooked nonstop (laughs) for 30 years and now you can. Folks, I'm doing all the cooking. I'm walking the damn (laughs) dog. Whatever. I cook dinner every night. You're fine. Lockdown is an an interesting thing. Um, But if we don't, but how would you know that if I didn't tell you? So for years, I didn't ever sit down and say, Gary, I need you to understand this is me loving you. Right. And I think you would have responded and said, oh, 
I'm sorry I've missed it. It's, it's here's my example of that. And I just had this conversation with one of our intern houses. The girls literally asked me, is <laughs> it so true I love this. that the boys can't see the laundry <laughs> on the ground? Is it true, Gary, that they can't see the dirty dishes in the, they the sink? They don't see it. And honestly, they don't see it until we're aware. And Lisa, it took you yeah, me years to I come alive. I literally put the the clean clothes right in front of the stairs and block the stairs with the baskets of clean clothes, hoping that someone besides me, because my back hurt all the time, would carry it up and all you boys would leap over it. We would just step over it because we didn't see it now. You saw it. You just leapt over it. Well, I don't How know. How could that, you not see it? You would trip. I don't know. Well, the, the issue was it, it didn't seem like that important to <laughs> me. Now, I would be the one that would actually put it at the bottom of the steps and carry it up the I steps know. because... I understand your rhythms and your pace now, and I yes. understand how important that is to you. But I, I, that's what I, that's what I was talking about earlier is that you're not marrying a 50 year old man. Yes. You're marrying a 20 something or 30 yes. something year old who doesn't get all this stuff. Yeah. The and assumptions are everything. They are I mean, everything. We assume that people see the world the way that we do. We assume that people were exposed to marriage the way that we were. We assume that people can read our mind. That's a huge thing for women. We expect men to read our mind and then we get mad at them when they don't. Right. And, and we it's cannot not read your fair. mind. My whole life is about explaining to women they don't think the way that you do. Okay. You so cannot put your stuff on them. I want you to take out a scratch piece of paper <laughs> right now. And I and I want you I to draw make notes in their phone now, honey. One line from A to B. Okay. Hope you've done that. That's a man's mind. Now I want you to take a scratch piece of paper and I want you to just squiggle all over the place. Thousands of lines. Well, hundreds anyway. That's a woman's mind. And it's all connected. It's all connected. So here, I mean, we're going to talk about sex yet or we're going to do that on a different podcast? That's a whole podcast. Oh, we're going to do a whole other podcast. We're going to talk about that when you share things with your spouse of past sexual relationships you've had regular relationships you've had, the women are going to remember that 10 and 20 years into your marriage. And we're going to show you a whole other way of how you do that, Yeah, that you won't like possibly, but it's true. And so we'll get to that. So anyway, my point is this, that if a man sees A, 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 B, C, F, A, he says, I basically got all A's. Yeah. A woman sees the F and says, why'd you get the F? Because our mind, not that she's negative or mean, but your minds just focus on the reality more yeah. than a man's mind yeah. focuses on. Our brains do not work the same at all. And it's a beautiful thing it's once you figure that out. It's a brilliant thing. Yes. I Thank love, God. I love the way men, men were created. I love the way that men's minds work. I gravitate towards men, probably to a fault. Because I do feel safe with men. And I know that's, I'm like the only person in the world that will ever, a woman that says this. There's very few women that feel that way. But I love that men say what they're thinking and then they move on. Yes. And it's always been really hard for me with women that we can't just say what we're thinking and then move on. We have to revisit it. We have to talk it to death. We have to attach emotions to it and everything. And so for me, men have been easier to deal with and relate to. So I loved having sons. Because they would just tell me, this sucked, mom. I didn't like this. And I'd say, oh, I'm sorry. And then we were fine. And with women, there's always more going on. And we have, we do have to step outside of our own brains, though, and think, what is it like to live in that world? And I always use the example. I went to work with you a couple of times to meetings and stuff. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I cannot believe the morons he has to deal with all day and the egos he has to deal with all day. And it gave me more compassion for you that when you came home, like you needed you need to decompress. 
And then the times where you would stay with the kids, if I went out of town or something, you were like, oh my God, they are fully alive all the time. And I'm like, yes. And you have to feed them every 15 minutes and they all have a lot of words and you have to listen to everything they say. And it's all consuming. And that's why sometimes I want to just hide in the back of my closet. But if we don't step out of our own brain and our own world enough to see the view that our spouse has, we're always going to be trying to convince them that the way we see the world is right. Yes. And we're going to try and push on them. Even if our family was dysfunctional, it's what we're used to. Yeah. And and let me say to that, every single family is dysfunctional. And guess what, guys, your family is going to be dysfunctional. If you've been married for 40 years, if you've been married for a minute, if you're going to get married, it's dysfunctional. Yeah. Because we are human and that's okay. The, the issue is, is what do we do with that dysfunction? Exactly. Do we make it cause us to get divorced? And, and I, Lisa and I counsel a lot of people who've been divorced, not counsel, we coach. And they all say the same thing. I don't remember why we started hating each other, mm-hmm. but we hate each other. Yeah. You don't even remember why it started happening. Well, I think we make agreements and I think we decide on a certain day, my spouse doesn't love me for a woman and for a man, my wife doesn't respect me. And then we, we collect evidence to prove that. And a lot of marriages become a collection of evidence to prove what we have chose to believe. Absolutely. They do. And when you say to a man, wait, you don't feel respected by me. And they're like, no, not at all. And you're shocked because as a woman, you're doing everything you can to love them. He doesn't want your love. He wants your respect. And a man is like, I'm trying to prove to you I'm respecting you. I'm like, I don't care if you respect me. Do you love me? Well, and the way that we show love, if if a man is not leading a woman, she can't respect him. That's very true. And so what I want to encourage you young men with is lead in the way of serving your wife. Don't lead in the way of trying to control your wife. But a, a woman, if you're just gone silent and we will talk about the, the, the ademic silence. Adam went silent and didn't defend his wife in the garden. Yeah, and men in Midwest America, especially, and I'll just say it truthfully, have gone silent. Their, their wives run the home. Men are silent because they don't want to deal with things. And so they stay out later. Or they don't they become workaholics, yeah. right? They're not equipped to deal with it. I think a lot of men probably feel really powerless to, and, to but, deal but, with their own But women things. cannot respect you if you're not leaving. Yeah. Period. But what does that mean? That means that I get to actually show up anyway. Yeah. I get to repent first anyway. Mm-hmm. I get to humble myself immediately. Now, again, there's sometimes where there's a healthy fight that we'll have. Right. And I'm not going to say the, the cuss word you use because you asked me not to. But we'll have those healthy fights and they're brilliant. But I have got to lead in the place of humility and grace and repentance and when I do that, what do you do? Anytime I come to you and say, babe, I'm not sure what's happening. I'm sure it's my fault. Please forgive me. I, I have missed it. And I'm not doing that to stop the fighting. I'm doing it because I, would I really know. do. I would know if of you course were doing you would. it to stop But what does it do to your heart I, when I do that? Everything melts. And I have, no, I have no defense. I mean, I have to open my heart to you because you've opened your heart to me. And there's nowhere else for me to go unless I'm determined to be miserable. If I'm deterred, and some people are, I mean, I know people that are determined to be miserable and they are always, I've been around a few women that I'm like, I just lost all respect for them because all they do is complain. All they do is find the negative. All they do is put down. All they do is berate their husbands. I'm like, I can't really be around you because I don't respect you. I, I see that you're destroying every gift that God has given you. 
out of your own pride. And it always comes back to pride and humility. Always. We all have pride and it's a laying down. The best men I know on the earth are the most humble men on the earth. Weakness is not humility. When the right. scripture says the meek shall inherit the earth, it means humble. It doesn't mean humility. weak. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So culturally, how do we form healthy culture? Conversations about what you value. Like I'm sure that one of these couples that has had a hard time is the Spanish culture. Um, they get together at two o'clock in the afternoon and they go till three o'clock in the morning. Yeah. And my dear friend is like, I can't engage that long. That's exhausting for me. Also, they're speaking a different language and I don't even know what they're saying. And I'm totally lost and I'm isolated in that. And so she didn't want to go to those gatherings. But anymore. a lot of people feel that way in American families. Absolutely. <laughs> right. I mean, how many times have you gone to your spouse's house and thought, seriously, this right. is like John and I, our first um, year of marriage, um, he invited me over for Thanksgiving and I was all dressed up and had my hairs did and had my shoes and I matched and I was adorable and smelled good and everything. And I walked downstairs and him, his brothers, his brother and his dad were all sitting there unshowered, unshaven in their like sweat clothes with their hats on backwards watching football. Well, I love football. So that was an issue for me. But then his mom brought out paper plates and it was literally like entering a different world because the family I grew up in, we dressed for holidays. We sat in the dining room. We used China. We had a really Two nice different meal. Cultures, yeah. We lit candles. We talked. We did all things. And they basically, it was like, we're going to shovel food into our mouth off these paper plates. And we're just, we're chilling all day, which I probably needed more of that in my life. But it literally was culture shock to me. I, I literally thought. I've made a colossal mistake in marrying this man because we are from two different worlds. Well, that really helps me understand what you're trying to say here. And so takeaways here. So you, you're, let's say you're getting married, you've been married, maybe it's been hard. You know, it's really hard to love your mother-in-law. <laughs> I'll attest to that. It's just a tough thing uh, because it's complete different cultures. So what are some practical ways that we culturally come Have together a conversation about tell me what happened in your family that you want to carry into our family. Tell me what happened in your family that you don't want to carry into our family. And then let's, let's talk about what we really value. So if this isn't important to you, don't bring me into it because it's very uncomfortable to me. Like this is torture to me, like sitting around with your family for 12 hours is like torture to me, but it's important to you. I will do it. And I will smile through it and I'll bring my kids into it and I'll do it. But actually tell me what you value so that I know how to love you well. So that the conversation of what do you value and what do you want to bring into our family? and what's going to create maybe contention yeah. if I don't value this, because yeah. we run into that a lot. Yes. And the way I put it is, and I, and I taught on this in our Patreon is start, stop, continue. So you in your marriages, you want to start new traditions. Yes. So one of our traditions is we were, we all went out, all eight of us, so our six kids and Lisa and I was making really good money in telecom. And so for Christmas, we drove out to California. We had this amazing vacation. We're driving home. It's Christmas Eve. We're in Phoenix and nothing is open, right. but a Japanese restaurant. Yes. So we went and had a Japanese meal. I think Noah was three months old. Yeah, so everybody was time. nine and younger. Yeah. yeah. And, but now ever since then, our every kids, single year, our kids still do it. They yeah. Send we, us pictures. That is a tradition. Yeah. If we're not together, we send pictures to one another. Yeah. So that's a tradition we carried in. We started. We that. started. So you start traditions. Yes. Right. And then you want to stop traditions that didn't bring life. Yeah. So in your family, if you grew up, 
and you had traditions that you're like, ugh, I just yeah, don't maybe like, like that. I know someone was telling me that one of their family traditions was called um, uh, basically booze Friday or whatever, like the day after Thanksgiving, everyone just sits around, gets really drunk. And she's like, yeah, I don't think I'm going to continue that in my family. It never ends well. Yeah. And it's like, just because it's a tradition doesn't mean it's good doesn't mean it's going to bring life. Like if everyone ends up yelling and screaming at each other, maybe that's not something you right. want to bring in. If so, it's a happy memory and you think I want to expose it. my kids, but we started all new traditions with yeah. our family. Yeah, Cause we have to, cause the boys told us their traditions and the girls said, that's the stupidest thing I ever heard. And the girls told them our traditions and they're like, that's cheesy and dumb. Yeah. So we just started new ones. Started new ones. Started so fresh. you start new, you stop toxic ones yes. and then you continue ones that brought life and have conversations about what you value and what's really important to you and don't value everything. Don't, you can't hold on to everything from your childhood. You need to let some things Ooh, go. That's you're grown up now. That's tough. Man. And you're a leader in your family. And if, if the puppet show on, you know, Christmas Eve is the most annoying thing your spouse has ever been a part of. Let it go. That's so good. <laughs> it really is annoying. Oh my gosh. <laughs> if reenacting the first part of Luke is like cheesy to you and you don't want to dress up like Mary the Virgin or whatever, then maybe let it go. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Because sometimes we don't realize some of the stupid things our family does until we're away from them. And we're like, wait a minute. That was really not fun. It never ended well. Okay. I want to give you seven quick things as we end here. On our second of the series, honey, not episode, well, maybe episodes, however you want to call it. It's our marriage series here. So in the day and age of last minute text message um, and overcommitments and laziness, we want to create a culture in our family of commitment. Mm. To me, commitment is everything. If you say you're going to do it, do it. So one of the things in my family that's a wound is that we had to have dinner at five o'clock every night. So no matter what, I would stop playing Hail Mary, smear the queer, whatever with my buddies. I don't think you can say smear the queer. And anymore. I had to be home. That's probably true. <laughs> probably more right. Come on. Sorry. Childhood um, memory. Smear the queer. Forgive him. Um, and so I had to get home by five or I would get spanked and yeah. I'd get spanked hard to be around the family dinner. And so you wish they would have let you just be a kid in the yeah, summer? Yeah, I just, it was ridiculous. So that's not something that we carried. We we did value family dinners yes. together, but with, you know. Sports. All the sports and yeah, all the stuff. It was pivot. very difficult. So twice a week, we made sure that we all sat yeah. around the table. But commitment. So you commit to that yeah. and then you follow through. And yeah. if you can't commit, by the way, don't text. I know we're a texting generation. Make the call or get in front of the person and mm-hmm. say, I cannot make it. I'm sorry but I will make it next time. So culture of commitment, that's number one. Number two is that it needs to just become ordinary that you do life like this together. Mm-hmm. In your families, make it ordinary that you do family dinner. Make it ordinary that you celebrate around the yeah. dinner table. Make it ordinary that on Sunday mornings, we're either gonna maybe go to a healthy, good church or we're just gonna be the church and love one another and prophesy over each other and pray for one another. Make com- that, that cultural thing of your family ordinary. Right. In a culture of global everything, we simply need a a culture of justice. What are we doing, for lack of a better term, to reverse oppression as a family? Mm -hmm. What are we doing to serve the needy? Mm -hmm. Like right now in this downturn, what are we doing? Are we making those calls to the people that are checking on our lives and what they need? Love them. And if they need finance and you have it, give it to them. If they need food and you have it, Give it to them and make it a healthy thing, right? And just teach your children how to do that. 
And in a culture where we're watching a lot of Netflix all day, we want to be, we want to create a culture of hospitality where our door is, it can't be open right now because I can't come over, no, but really. I want to make sure that my heart is always full of hospitality yeah. that I'm giving out. And then we want a culture of mission. What's our mission? We want a culture of honesty. When we're talking to one another, we're going to speak the truth in love. We're going to tell each other exactly what we're feeling and why we're feeling that way. My heart is angry and I want to talk about it and be okay with that. And then lastly, we want to develop a culture of celebration. I think that's what most of our families are missing is when we do gather around the dinner table together, maybe it's only twice a week. Let's celebrate. Right. Let's break bread. And right. Drink some Let's wine laugh. and enjoy and life. It's not, the, it's not a time to have a family meeting. Right. It's not time Separate to talk that. about the hard things. Yeah. Right? Just enjoy. Like when you date, Get just her, enjoy your exactly. presence. Exactly. So our date meetings. nights are about celebration. Not yeah. We don't talk about our kids. We don't talk about business because so, we work together. But yeah. Separating those things. All right. We're going to move on to our third series here. I think our third episode in our series of okay. marriage. Okay. If you guys want notes on any of these things um, and, and you just have questions, or if you're desperate in your marriage, guys, we get texts all the time. We love it. Um, we're here and we want you to. GaryandLisaBlack.com. You can hear all of our podcasts. You can reach out to us from there. Our email, Gary at the Black Tribe.com or Lisa at the Black Tribe.com. Make sure you're not being left alone. Don't get yeah, isolated. That's the last thing that I'll say is that um, there were times in our marriage where marriage counseling wasn't really helping us and different things weren't helping us, but bringing people in that were wise, that loved both of us and wanted our marriage to succeed brought perspective. Well, and guy, you don't want to go to a counselor that's going to keep you stuck. You want to be transformed into a beautiful marriage. Yeah, you want to actually hear your marriage. Right. So if you come to us, don't expect us to be nice. We're not going to rehearse the grievances with you. Right. And we're going to hold you to your stuff and we're going to speak the truth in love. But that's exactly what you need. Yeah. You need some perspective and you need to rise above the chaos to see what needs to happen. That's what helped us the most. Yeah. Is when people were just honest and said, well, get over yourself. Yeah. What, go, yeah. Go, go forgive your wife. Even if she, even if you're right and she was wrong, mm -hmm. who gives a crap? It's time to get real yeah. and be married because what's covenant? And we're going to do a, a, an episode or on covenant. And what does that actually mean? And so, whew, I good. love this, babe. I know. Good job, babe. You're doing an awesome job. Thank you for leading in this. <laughs> Honestly, you're leading us through this thing. All right, guys, we love you. Uh, GaryandLisaBlack.com if you have anything to tell us. And we can't wait to keep going. Love Talk you guys. Bye-bye.